Well, you may be seated. Thank you for being back with us. Part two of our message series, and I'm really, really excited about getting into today's text with you. And uh, last week, we looked at the prayer of Daniel, and actually it wasn't his prayer as much as it was his prayer habits, because as we saw last week, uh, Daniel had this specific time where he would go. He had set a time. He wasn't going to miss out on that. He had a specific time when he would meet with God. He had a specific place where he would go and he would meet with God, go up to the second floor of his home, open up the windows, breeze, Middle Eastern heat, and he would pray. He would pray to God. And uh, he had these prayer patterns in his life. It was personal. It was private to him. And uh, we know the story. We looked at it uh, last week. And then uh, I thought it was so neat. Somebody sent me, and normally when something makes the cut, as it were, is if it makes me laugh out loud, then it makes the the cut. And so I got an email uh, from one of you this week, and you know who you are. And when I saw it, uh, I laughed. And so I wanted all of you to enjoy this. And it will remind you of our talk last week. So look at it right here on the screen. This is Daniel, in case you don't know. Little did he know the lions were doing the Daniel fast. All right, just something for you to think. All right, so just wanted you to, they were doing the Daniel fast. Well, maybe it wasn't quite like that, but I still like the picture. So Daniel was last week, and we're remaining in the Old Testament one more week, but we, before we land on a very specific prayer that is prayed, I have a question that I want to ask each of you. And the question is simply this, have you ever been on the receiving end of some news that like when you heard it, it was like incredibly alarming to you? hair-raising. It was the kind of news that was dreadful. I mean, when you heard it, it was just as if your pulse rate, it's as if your blood pressure spiked immediately. Maybe for you, as you think back and you're like, yeah, I remember, I remember when that happened for me. Maybe, maybe it was when you were like uh, seated in a doctor's office and a uh, follow-up appointment and they come in and the doctor sort of pulls up a stool and sits down and unload some information on you that you never dreamed in a lifetime that you would ever hear. And it was just so alarming. It was so, bre it just, it was just something that in a moment, er everything felt different for you. Maybe it was a phone call. Maybe it was a, a, a dreaded call in the middle of the night. How many of you, how many of you, uh, you just, you, you, if the phone rings in the middle of the night, it just sends a chill down your spine. How many of you are like that? You're just like, ah, you know what? And, and uh, that's happened to me, of course. It's happened to me, uh, you know, as a family person, my extended family. It's happened to me as a pastor. I can remember a time, uh, though, when I was uh, just starting out in my first ministry position. And this church that I was on staff at was in Montgomery, Alabama. I lived in Montgomery, Alabama for about three years. And so I was on call, and that meant that if any Anybody called into church, no matter what hours that week you were on call, you got the call. And so it was a call in the middle of the night. And so when the phone went off, I'm like, oh man, this is not going to be good. This is, this is not going to be good. And I picked up the phone 
And uh, I said, hi, you know, even though it's the middle of the night, how many of you, you've tried to, you want to sound as though you've been wide awake, like you've been sitting up waiting for the call. And uh, I'm just like, uh, you know, tried to sound awake and I wasn't really awake. And I'm like, hey, this is Pastor Jeff. How can I help you? And there was a hesitation at the end of the phone. And, and then this person said, I'm not making this up, Dr. Hackett. This, this, uh, this is, uh, I said, uh, can I help you? And the person said, well, I'm working on a paper for class, a theological paper. <laughs> and I'm just trying to get it done. You know, it's due. And I just need a little help. I've got a couple of questions. If you're, I'm like, I'm like, Jesus, help me right here, right now. Help me. You know, murder is forbidden in the scriptures. But I'm thinking about it like about right now. And so, you know, only by the grace of God, only by the grace of God, I was, I was kind and I answered a couple of questions and then I hung, I'm still in a little bit of a fog. And, and then it hit me after I hung up. I said, I so wish I had asked. And he did go. He, as far as I know, he didn't even go to our church. And I just thought, well, here's where I missed it. I should have before I got off the phone said, hey, what's your name? I didn't catch your name. And again, I'm, I'm in a fog or I would have thought of this. Like if I'd been like fully coherent, hey, what's your name? And all right, write that down and then write his phone number down and then wait 48 hours and call him in the middle of the night and said, by the way, how'd you do on your paper? <laughs> How many of you know that would have been a great idea? <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Ah, that's been a great, but no, you've been on, um, a call, nobody's asking you for theological help in writing a term paper. It was just like, when you put that receiver down or you turned your phone off, it was like, oh. Maybe, maybe it was when you were, you know, at your house and knock on the door and you served some papers that you never thought was coming because you thought that things were okay. And then all of a sudden, somebody shows up on your doorstep or papers arrive in the mail and you're like, oh boy, I didn't, see, I just thought, Never thought that was going to happen. Maybe the news was so earth-shattering that still to this day, you remember when you received that kind of news, you remember where you were standing. Maybe you remember, you know, what you were doing. Maybe it's so vivid in your memory even now, you even remember what you were wearing at the time. Although I was seven years old, some of you have heard me mention this, I continue to remember that on this particular day, I was out in the cul-de-sac where we lived, playing with my friends, and uh, I think we were playing tennis. I remember being in the cul-de-sac, and I think we were playing tennis, baseball, because I couldn't knock the neighbor's windows out with the real baseball. And, I, and then all of a sudden, uh, my mom gets a call, and dad comes. They rush off, and my, my papa has had a major heart attack while playing golf, a heart attack that he would not survive. There is a young king of Jerusalem He's about 39 years old. He is ruling when one day he receives a letter from a neighboring king that puts him on his heels. That when this king opens up this letter and he begins to read the contents therein, it's like oxygen is immediately sucked out of the room, the room that he is standing in. It is so alarming to him that I'm sure that when he reads it, he is absolutely, literally, on the verge of passing out. Now, how many of you are aware of this, that the mind and the body can only take so much? How many of you know that? 
The mind and the body can only take so much. And I saw the reality of this a number of years ago. A very, very close friend of mine had received some news that was so disturbing to him. And we'd had some conversations over the phone. He didn't live in the city that I lived in, which wasn't Lakeland at the time. And he, he came uh, after a matter of just a few days and stayed with us a few days and just gave me an opportunity to be with him, encourage him, you know, pray with him, be there for him, support him. And there would be times I'd never seen anything like it before where the news that he had received was so overwhelming to him that there would be times that we would just be in the middle of a conversation and he would go like totally canatonic. It would be like he would just write, sometimes in mid-sentence, that he would just stop talking. And it was frightening, honestly. And he would, he had just, it was just, he would just all of a sudden, catatonic, just totally frozen. And his eyes would be open. He wasn't blinking and he wasn't responding and he wasn't talking. He wasn't doing anything. And then after a while, it would be like his... You know, that overload that he was in in that moment had just settled, and he would start speaking right back up. Let's take a little time this morning to talk about a king, a young king. Hezekiah is his name, and the prayer that quickly follows once this letter hits his hands. Now, this letter, just so that you know, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to deal with all that is found therein. I'll just tell you uh, sort of an overview. Uh, but the letter emphatically states that unless Hezekiah, this young 39-year-old king, immediately and unconditionally surrenders him, the nation, the country, that unless that happened like forthrightly, like completely, that there was going to be an invasion. This is what this uh, king is threatening that there's going to be an invasion of your nation, of your country, that unless you immediately surrender, that's going to leave a trail of blood from the lives of every man and every woman and every child, barring none, living in Jerusalem. Every one of them. It doesn't matter how young they are. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter if they're male or female in good health or not good health. It doesn't matter. Everyone, everyone. That'd be like saying everyone in this room or everyone in the community or everyone in the city, this king said, here's what's going to happen. Unless there's an immediate surrender, we're coming. We're going to invade your nation and we're going to cut everybody down with a sword. King Hezekiah knows that this threatening king is not only strong enough, but that he is also deranged enough to follow through with his threats that are found in this letter. Furthermore, King Hezekiah is completely aware that he has what most people think are no other options. When you get news like that, it's not like, okay, he, he doesn't know the kind of, uh, you know, army that we have because his army, King Hezekiah there in Jerusalem, could not even begin to stack up against the invasion of this king. He has no plan B. He has no plan C. He has no plan D. It just appears that... Uh, there's no hope whatsoever. And then Hezekiah, still with the letter in his hand, the sudden realization of all of this hits him. And again, I'm sure he's trembling. I believe, literally, he's on the verge of passing out. Maybe he's like my friend, almost catatonic. And just in a moment, he's just going to go into overload. His breakers are going to trip. But in that moment, while holding that letter in his hand, he has this thought, my only hope is God. That's it. My only. There's no plan B. There's no plan C. Plan A, my only hope 
help is God. And unless God interrupts this looming course of action, no one is going to survive this. Our nation is not going to survive it. Our citizens, my friends, my wife, my kids, nobody's going to be able to survive this. So he leans into the only real option that Hezekiah has, the only hope that he has. And we pick this up. This is 2 Kings chapter 19. And you're going to see a couple of verses here on the screen. So take a look at them with me. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up. Where did he go? He went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, and thrown between the cherubim. Look at these four words. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. And then look at this last sentence. You have made heaven and earth. So still with this letter in his hand, this is the course of action that he takes. Once Hezekiah has processed the details and significance of this letter, he with great urgency makes his way to the house of God and there Hezekiah gets on his knees and according to what we saw here in the scriptures, he spread it, he spread the letter out before the Lord. Now, He's there at the house of God. He's like, all right, take a look at this, God. I want you, God, here it is. I want you to read every paragraph. I want you to look at every sentence. I want you to look at every word. God, I want you to read this over. And he immediately goes to the house of God and he spreads this letter out before God. And he's like, God, you're our only hope. My, uh, my office that I work out of primarily, because some of you are aware that I've got a second office Chick-fil-A. But my primary office where I work most of the time, the majority of the time, is at our North Campus. And it's not uncommon. I mean, it's not like an uh, ongoing occurrence, but it's not um, uncommon. I'm never surprised when, like, if I'm going from point A to point B and I walk through the sanctuary there, that I see somebody in there praying. They may be just sitting in a pew there, just, just quietly praying. Sometimes I'll see them kneeling at an altar in the front. And uh, I can't help it when anytime I see that, I'm like, I wonder, I wonder what kind of tragedy is going on in their life. I wonder what kind of circumstances that they're faced with. I, I, wonder, I wonder what kind of circumstance that has caused them to like immediately having received whatever news it is that they have received that they're like, I got to get to the house of God and spread out. Maybe it's not a letter, but maybe it's a need before God and saying, God, you're my only hope. Hezekiah is like, God, I would like it if having read this letter that you would show up and that you would do something about this circumstance. And then he does something, Hezekiah does, that you have probably done on numerous occasions whenever you've prayed, even though maybe at the moment you're not even thinking that you're doing this, but you're just sort of doing this uh, reflectively or instinctively and, instinctively, and you're like, okay, here's what, and, and I'll tell you what I mean. A lot of times we've heard of a pep talk. Maybe you've given one, maybe you've received one. Uh, we're familiar with the terminology self-talk because sometimes we talk to ourselves. Hopefully you're not answering yourselves. That's when it gets, you know, when you talk to yourself, that's, that's fine. You give yourself a self-talk. But what Hezekiah does here, something that you've probably done without even knowing it, and that is he gives himself sort of a faith talk. And it goes something like this. You saw the words a moment ago. He gets on his knees. You see this. He's received. He's probably still shaking. And he lays the letter out at the house of God. Let God read every letter, every word, every paragraph. 
every sentence. And then he says, all right, God, I'm going to talk to you about this. But before I really get into my prayer, because he's about to pray a prayer, and you're going to see this, he acknowledges right in the beginning, you alone are God. Even before I start praying, I just want to remind myself. And by the way, God, I don't mind reminding you that you alone are God. And by the way, while I'm thinking about it, you're the one that has made the heavens and the earth. So if you are capable enough and powerful enough and supernatural enough that you are able to make the heavens and the earth, then certainly you are able to answer our prayer to meet this need. You see, friends, prayer is always a magnificent time to remind yourself just how sovereign and majestic and loving and compassionate and powerful that God is. And that's my granddaughter over there. Okay. Okay. Real quick. Come on. Real quick. Come here. Real quick. Come on. Is that what you wanted? All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. I see you over there kicking up and I couldn't ignore it. I see. What's on your mind? You thinking about anything? All right. Papa has to preach. So you're going to have to go back over there. Okay? How about a kiss before you go? Okay. It's your call. I'll kiss you. Bye. Love you. See ya. Sorry. Sorry. A great Christian leader by the name of Bill Bright once said this. Once we understand how awesome God is, we will not hesitate to believe God for great things. Let me read that again. Once we understand how awesome God is, we will not hesitate to believe him for great things. So Hezekiah, do you have the picture now? I believe you do. He's got the letter in his hand, shaking. He's like, oh man, we're in deep trouble. This guy's powerful enough and he's crazy enough what he's threatening. If, if we don't like surrender right away, and he knew the consequences of what that mean, like ultimate surrender and immediate, he knew what that meant. I mean, might as well kill them all as to surrender to this king. And he's like there before God and he's got it all laid out. And he's like, God, we don't, we don't have any other options but you. And uh, we need your help. Our hope is in you. And God, by the way, I, I, I just want to remind you, and I especially need to remind myself just how powerful you really are. You are God alone. There's no other God but you. You're the God that created the heavens and the earth and everybody. And after Hezekiah has a little faith taught, recalling once again that God is mighty and capable, he simply asks God. And I love the simplicity of what he's about to do. He simply asks God for help. Think I love about Hezekiah's prayer because we're looking at three prayers and the best one is the one next week. But what I love about this particular prayer is that he does not plead endlessly with God. He does not feel the need to nag God. He doesn't manipulate God. He doesn't make all these promises that he knows he can't fulfill. Even if God answers his prayer, he just simply and sincerely asks that God would deliver them from the evil intentions of this lunatic king. His prayer is so simple. It's like, man, you know, if I were faced with something like that, my prayer, you know, would have been a lot longer, a lot deeper than his prayer. But, I mean, he's in trouble. His nation, Jerusalem, in trouble. His, his citizens are in trouble. This king has a, his family is in trouble. His friends are in trouble. And I want you to look at verse 19. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, this king's hand, these two really important words. I'll come back to them in a moment. So that, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord our God, so that all the kingdoms, it's simple. It's a very simple 
prayer. It's a very simple, you would have thought that it just went on and on and on uh, based on what they're faced with. What is, um, what is sort of neat to me when I really think about it and just sort of run a parallel understanding, it was about six centuries later that, that the Apostle Paul, this renowned New Testament church leader, would come along and he would write these particular words that you're about to see to a group of Christ followers living in a place called Philippi. And it, it's really along the same lines. Look at what he says here. He said, don't worry about anything. How many of you, by the way, you know that's easier said than done. How about if I say to you, you tell me something. I say, don't worry about it. You're like, right. It's, yeah, easy for you to say. I'm dealing with it. Not, yeah, don't. But Paul says, hey, don't worry about anything, but pray about. Uh, look at the contrast. Don't worry about anything, but pray about what? Everything. With thankful hearts. Look at this last part. In fact, read this last part with me. Offer up your prayers and requests to God. Offer up your prayers and requests to God. Just, just let God know. You don't have to go on and on and on. You don't have to pray eloquently. You don't have to pray like, you, you know, you've been to 10 years of seminary. Many of you have convinced yourself, by the way, and this is the majority of you, I'm talking to you right now. Many of you have convinced yourself that you are not cut out for prayer. And you know why you've convinced yourself of this? By the way, it's not, it's not accurate. It's not true. But you've convinced yourself that you're not cut out for prayer because you can't pray proficient enough. Well, you know, I've heard other people pray, and I can't pray like other people. And, you know, they, they pray like really, really good. And if they're like a really good prayer, they insert some Ds and some dials in there. And it's like, it's a like takes it up to a, I can't do that. I can't pray proficient prayers. And I can't pray dynamic prayers. I don't even, you know, get like uh, animated. I don't feel very, you know, I don't pray uh, proficient enough. I don't pray dramatic enough. I certainly don't pray lengthy enough. But I want you to take a look. I love this. And this is for all of you that have ever felt this way. Most of us have. I love what Jesus himself says. Take a look at this. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 7, he said, when you pray, do not use a lot of meaningless words. How many of you can appreciate that right there? Jesus said, listen, when you're praying, I want you to pray. Don't use a lot of meaningless words. Look at this. Uh, as the pagans do. He said, that's what they do. You don't have to do that. You don't have to, you don't have to do that who think that their gods will hear them. Why? Why do they think? Because their prayers are long. And some of you are saying, I can't even pray long prayers. Jesus say, I'm okay with that. I can't pray long. Ah, okay, I'm okay with that, Jesus would say. But pray sincerely. Pray from your heart. And there's a phrase that Hezekiah includes in his prayer that is so important. I mentioned to you that I'd come back to this. It's not going to be on the screen. I'll just read it from my note here. That uh, I want us to go back to this for just a moment. And I want you to listen to what he said. He said, oh, Lord, our God. Remember, this is part of his prayer. He's in the temple. Let us spread before God. God, read every word, every paragraph, every sentence. We're in big trouble. We don't have any other options. He's prayed the prayer. And then he says, oh, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, that king's hand. And then he mentions two words, two little bitty words. So that. So that. God, deliver us from his hand so that. Two little words, six letters total. Not a lot to it, yet profound and deeply, deeply relevant. I think, listen now. Everybody listen. I think that if you and I just said, you know what? In 2019, I want to grow in God. 
I really want to grow in. I want to be closer to God than I've ever been in my entire life. I, I want to grow in God. I want to grow in prayer because you're probably one of those people who said, I'm never cut out for prayer, can't pray. My prayers don't even make sense to me. How can they make any sense to God? And, uh, you know, I don't pray long enough. And I don't, you know, I just, I'm not cut out. I'll leave that up to like super saints and, you know, other people. I just, and yes, you can. Yes, you can. But for all of us, no matter who we are, whether we're a, a brand new Christian or whether we've been walking with God a long, long time, there's something I believe that if you and I could just somehow say, you know, I want to increasingly integrate these two little phrases into my prayer, this is what I think would happen. I think it would change our prayers. I think we would pray with greater faith. I think we would pray with greater confidence. Remember what he said? I'll just read it again. Oh, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand. Listen, so that, so that, just two little words, so that. And then he adds to it so we know what he's saying. So that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, oh, Lord, are God. What is Hezekiah saying? And I could take more time to talk about this, but I'll just mention it briefly. Hezekiah is simply saying this, God, of course, I want this city and its inhabitants to be protected. I want that. I want it so badly. God, the thoughts of my wife and my children being run through with a sword is about to trip my physical and emotional breakers. However, God, I want you to know there's something else that I believe is at stake here. And he prays this prayer, deliver us so that, so that. And what is he saying? So that your name and your fame may be glorified. He's saying, God, our only hope, option, and plan is you. So if you show up, God, if you show up the way I'm asking you, because you know we're in deep trouble. This king, he's crazy enough. He's powerful enough. They're probably on the way prepared for battle. If I don't surrender like right now and completely, we're all goners. But God, if you will show up, and you will deliver us, then here's, God, what I believe is at stake. Not only are we going to be protected, and God, I really hope that happens, but here's what's going to happen as well. People all over the earth are going to realize that you are the one true, powerful, almighty God. They're going to see you're the one true God if you'll show up so that all the nations of the earth may know that you are God. I hate to confess this to you, but I'll go ahead. I'm a pro in praying selfish prayers. Anybody else with me? Okay, three of you are, the rest of you, amazing. May I learn at your feet. Anybody ever pray selfish prayers? I'm a pro at it. I mean, think about our prayers for most of us. We pray, we get on our knees, or we walk and pray, or we're seated in a particular table where we do our devotions and we pray in our prayers. Have you ever noticed this about your prayers? Maybe if you haven't noticed, maybe you'll think about them next time you get ready to pray. Your prayers ever go like mine sometimes go, God, please, and then fill in, you know, God, please give, guide, protect, provide, heal, help, bless, build. Your prayers ever go like that? Like, God, me, 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 me. Mine, 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 mine. Selfish prayers. In fact, I, I don't know what's going to help you. And fortunately, I recognize that some number of years ago. And I'm just like, okay, okay. And I, it's not that I still don't struggle with it today because I can get back into that same pattern where, you know, it's just my prayers and just sort of categorize and look at them. All right. So about 98% of that was selfish. About 2% was not. And I'm like, okay. And then you know what I used to help guide me? There's a verse. And maybe you'll want to write it down or take a picture of it. Sometimes you take pictures. And I think you're taking pictures of me to, 
not, not really. And so, but just look at James 4, 3, and this is what, uh, what this uh, leader says. When you pray for things, you don't get them because you want them for the wrong reason, for your own pleasure. How many of you think you've ever prayed a prayer and God has just said, no, mm-mm, no, that's all about you, not answering that one. Hey, let me ask you another question. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer and at the time you thought it was what you really wanted, but about a year later, maybe even longer, you're like, I'm so glad God didn't answer that prayer. You ever had that kind of prayer? Any of us can be pros in the arena of selfish prayers. But again, what if we just said, God, here's what I want to do. I'm in a brand new year. And I want to grow closer to you than I've ever grown before. And I don't want it to be about me. I want to grow. I want to influence. I want to make a difference in the lives of people. I want to grow in you. I want to grow in prayer. And we just said, Lord, beginning right now, this year, I'm going to add, you know, increasingly integrate into my prayer this little so that simple phrase. And when I pray, I will pray so that, God, if you'll answer this prayer, Lord, I believe that if you'll answer this prayer, it will bring glory to your name. God, I believe that if you will answer this prayer, that some way, somehow this is going to serve to advance your kingdom and your purposes in the world. God, if you answer this prayer, it's going to help someone. It's going to help someone beyond me because it's easy to pray for me because I know me and I know what I want. But God, if you answer this prayer, this is about somebody else. God, if you answer this prayer, it may change me for the good. God, if you answer this prayer, it may help people to sit up and take note. What a powerful God. If you answer this prayer, people that have disregarded you, they may acknowledge you. And you know what, friends, when you and I just add that little phrase, so that, so that, so that, and it's not no longer about us. It's not that God minds us. I don't want us to take that wrong. It's not that God minds us. I mean, I pray constantly for my family. I pray for my kids, pray for my wife. I pray for my grandkids. I pray for my, uh, you know, my life in, in totality. It's not that God, you know, minds us doing that, but God, does this make sense? God wants us to do more than that. God wants us to pray in ways so that his name is glorified, so that his fame is spread, so that his kingdom is advanced. And I truly believe, as I said a moment ago, that if we would do that, it would cause us to pray with greater faith and confidence in ways like we've never prayed before. Okay, for time's sake, I need to wrap this up. You can read about it later on your own. But uh, I'll just get to the end of the story and just go ahead and if you're like, all right, you know, uh, what do they call it when somebody gives you the end? I, I can't even think of the phrase, the end of the movie. What is it called? Spoiler. spoiler. All right, spoiler alert. Here's my spoiler alert. All right, I'm going to tell you why I have it. And then you got to go and read the story. All right, I'm going to give you the outcome, but you got to go and read the story. So it's not too long after Hezekiah prayed this prayer that God sends a prophet. And this prophet, it's like this prophet comes up to Hezekiah. I can almost, it probably didn't happen this way, but Craig, I can almost see like this uh, prophet walking up to King Hezekiah. He's like, hey, 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 I got something to tell you. God has sent me to give you a word. Don't worry. Don't worry. Everything's under control. God's powerful enough. God is capable enough. You know this God that you pray to, you alone are God, and you want God's name and fame to be glorified? You know this God, you know because you didn't have an option B and option C, option D. You know this God you cried out to, and even before you started crying out to him, you had to give yourself a little faith taught, you alone are God. You're the God that created the heavens and the earth, and you had to acknowledge that and remind yourself of the God you're praying to. That God has sent me 
to tell you everything's going to be all right. And Hezekiah's like, what? What? Uh, all right, so everything's going to be, what does God want me to do? Uh, just give me the word. I'll assemble, you know, we can't, I'll assemble whatever troops I can. No, 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 no. You don't, under, you don't have to do anything. What? I don't have to do anything. No, you don't have to do anything. Well, surely God wants me to do this or that. No, no, no. You, you don't. God sent me to tell you, Hezekiah, this God you prayed to, this God you wanted to read every word, every line, every sentence. He's answered your prayer. And you don't have to do a thing. In fact, still in the same chapter, look at this verse. It's the B part of verse 31. Look at what it says. The zeal, this is what the prophet says, sent by God. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. All right? Spoiler alert. Here it is. God sends one angel. One. Uno. You didn't know I was bilingual, did you? Uno. Sends one angel. And after the dust is settled, 185,000 soldiers belonging to this threatening king were obliterated. One angel, 185,000 soldiers. Boom, gone. Met their maker. And maybe what Hezekiah was saying would come true. That all kingdoms on the earth would know that you better not mess with Israel's God. He is the one true God, and there's nothing he can't do. Can you imagine what God will do this year in your life if you begin to pray simple prayers? You don't, you, they don't have to go on and on and on. I mean, God wants us to pray, and, you know, I block out a lot of time in my devotion time. And if you're like, you're just getting started with it, it's not like, uh, you know, I got to pray an hour a day and I see people, you know, they start out, it's just like a lot of things that we do in life. We just have such a big goal that we can't accomplish it. We don't work into it with bite-sized pieces. Somebody will say, you know, I'm going to pray an hour a day, and they do that for two days, and they, they can't do it, and then they just quit on prayer altogether. If you're, like, if you're like a rookie prayer, let me just tell you, start small. Start small. If you walk away and you're like, that doesn't seem like, well, you can always add. It's easier to add to. It's easier because there's times as you grow as a Christian, let me just tell you how this works. As you grow as, as a Christian, your prayer life, will it expand over time? The way you study that, that, that will naturally, if you have the heart to do it, and that's, that's, uh, that's got to be in place. If you've got the heart to do it, that's just going to naturally grow in song. So if you're like a rookie prayer, just start small and just pray simple prayers. And you pray sincere prayers. And you pray so that kind of prayers. And God will show up and listen, listen. God will do things in your life in 2019 like you never dreamed possible. Because you don't have a plan B. And you don't have a plan C or a plan D. How many of you know that as followers of Jesus, our only true hope is in God. But God is big enough and God is capable enough. Let's give him a hand clap of praise. Can we do it? All right, stand with me. We're out of time. Well, I've got 35 seconds, but I'm out of time, all right? I'm out of time. Don't miss next week. I'm telling you, save the best for last. I'm going to read the text. I've already put a lot of hours into the talk for next week. I'm going to read the text at the very beginning of our time together. And just when I read the text, some of you are going to see the words. Next week, 
we're going to see a prayer that Jesus prayed, and it's going to blow you away. And when you see what Jesus prays, a lot of you are going to say, oh, my goodness, I know that God has something for me. And when you respond to that prayer, I believe it will for many of you, many of you, if you do what Jesus did, and if you prayed what Jesus prayed, it will change your life. It will totally change your life and your future. Even if you're, and a lot I want to say about it, you just need to be here next week. Father, thank you for this day. No matter where we're at, no matter what kind of news that we've received, no matter what we're up against, no matter what we're faced with, no, what, no matter what kind of dilemmas are in our lives, we know that our hope is in you. And there's times, God, when we spread our letter out, our need out before you, and you're like, all right, I'm with you. I'm hearing this prayer. Then, God, we pray, we pray in faith, believing that you are big enough, are capable enough to meet all of our needs. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, have a great week. See you next Sunday.